0: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
1: CBS News face the nation in 60
2: seconds. You don't need to be an expert to know that consolidating debt into a low fixed rate can save you money. The average interest rates on credit card debt are 17% APR. Have you looked at your interest rate lately? We wanted to take a second to tell you about Lightstream's credit card consolidation loan. You can get a credit card consolidation loan with fixed interest rates as low as 5.49 APR with autopay. You can save thousands of dollars in interest, all with no fees. A division of Suntrust Bank. Be confident you're working with one of the nation's largest and strongest financial institutions. Apply today and get an additional interest interest rate discount on top of Lightstream's already low rates. The only way for listeners with good credit to get this special interest rate discount is to go to lightstream.com/ftn. That's lightstream.com/ftn. L I G H T s-t-r-e-a-m dot com slash f-t-n. Subject to credit approval. Rate includes 0.5 auto pay discount. Available only when you select auto pay prior to loan funding. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com for important information about limits of Lightstream loans, same day funding, and rate beat program.
3: Today on Face the Nation, a week of backtracking and curious contradictions from the president and his new attorney, Rudy Giuliani. I would love to speak. I would love to. Nobody wants to speak more than me. President Trump told reporters he is eager to talk to special counsel Robert Mueller, but it's what he said about the Stormy Daniels case that could put him in legal jeopardy as Giuliani's defense strategy backfires. We'll talk to Kellyanne Conway, counselor to the president, and the attorney for Stormy Daniels, Michael Avenatti. We'll also look ahead to the president's upcoming summit with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. And British Ambassador Sir Kim Derek will be here to talk about Saturday's deadline for the president to decide if he'll formally pull out of the Iran nuclear deal. The former head of the CIA and the NSA, Michael Hayden, has a new book out, The Assault on Intelligence. He'll also join us. Plus, we'll have plenty of political and legal analysis on all the news coming up on Face the Nation. Good morning and Welcome to Face the Nation. I'm Margaret Brennan. It has been a week of legal twists and turns, beginning with a shocking leak to the New York Times of the questions that special counsel Robert Mueller wants to ask President Trump. White House attorney Ty Cobb announced his departure as another Emmett Flood came on board. But it was Rudy Giuliani who sent shockwaves through Washington with a series of TV appearances that raised more questions than answers. In a Wednesday appearance on Sean Hannity's Fox News broadcast, Giuliani revealed that that the president had reimbursed $130,000 in hush money that attorney Michael Cohen paid to Stormy Daniels at the end of the 2016 election. That payment may violate campaign finance laws.
4: Uh, That money was not campaign money. Sorry, I'm giving you a fact now that you don't know. It's not campaign money. No campaign finance violation. So they they funneled it through the law firm. Funneled through the law firm, and the president repaid it. Oh, I didn't know. He did. The president didn't know about this? I believe that's what Michael said. He didn't know about the specifics of it, as far as I know. But he did know about the general arrangement that Michael would take care of things like this.
3: President Trump appeared to confirm Giuliani's story the next morning in a series of tweets. But in another Fox appearance, Giuliani suggested it was campaign related.
4: Imagine if that came out on October 15th, 2016, in the middle of the, you know, last debate with Hillary Clinton.
3: The revelation also raised questions about what the president knew and when. Here's what he said a month ago on Air Force 1. Friday brought more confusion.
5: Rudy is
4: a great guy, but he just started a day ago. But he really has his heart into it. He's working hard. He's learning the subject matter.
3: Giuliani seemed to get the president's message last night. Okay, so did did you misspeak
4: or did people not interpret what you were saying? I'm not an expert on the facts yet. I'm getting there. But I am an expert on the law and particularly the campaign finance law. I've lived under it running for president. And the fact is, there is no way this is a campaign finance violation of any kind, nor was it a loan. It was an expenditure.
3: And this morning, in an interview on ABC, Giuliani backtracked again.
4: The president does acknowledge
6: meeting Stormy Daniels, correct?
4: Gee, I'm not really involved in the Daniels thing, so I don't know.
3: We begin today with counselor to the president, Kellyanne Conway. Kellyanne, thank you for joining us here. Thank you, Margaret. For Face the Nation. Rudy Giuliani in that interview said he's not an expert on the facts yet. Then why has the president authorized him to speak like this? Well, the president sent me here today. And
7: one thing I do want to say to you, Margaret, is the president told me just yesterday that when he said no on Air Force One last month, he's talking about when the payment occurred, that he was not aware of the payment to Ms. Daniels when the payment occurred. And that is consistent with his tweets from a couple of days ago, where in those three tweets, the president had a lot to say about this matter. He says that this was a private matter, had nothing to do with campaign funds, that there is an NDA in full force and effect. He believes that Ms. Daniels and her lawyer have violated. That may go to arbitration. He also repeats that this is a false claim, and he also says that Michael Cohen had Basically, discretion authority to use funds that had nothing to do with the campaign, how he saw fit as his attorney at that time.
3: But in an interview last night on Fox News, Rudy Giuliani said that this payment to Stormy Daniels was, in fact, a campaign expenditure. I didn't know he ran the campaign. So um, is that? what you would characterize it as?
7: I don't know why anyone would say that. I would not characterize it the way the president himself characterized it as not a campaign expenditure. All I can tell you is that as the campaign manager for the winning part of the campaign, this never crossed my desk. I was never made aware of this. Um, I found this out many, many long time afterwards, long after I got into the White House, to the extent that that's relevant. And so I think the president is reemphasizing that himself as someone who would know this Margaret, in his tweets when he says it wasn't campaign money, these are private agreements, his personal attorney had discretion to do this, and that uh, people who are wealthy and people who are famous do this uh, routinely. That He was trying to save the embarrassment for his family. It had nothing to do with the campaigning. May I say, if you go back and you pull... Candidate Trump, at basically any time during that time period between the tape that came out on October 7th and Election Day a month later, you will find Mr. Trump on the campaign trail almost daily, talking about the false accusers, talking about how this just isn't true. Uh, and and that's, he was very much on the record with the way he felt about everything that was swirling around him, and he was sticking to the issue six, seven speeches a day.
3: Were there other campaign expenditures—I know you disagree with that characterization. That's the language Giuliani used. But were there other campaign expenditures like this that you were aware of made by Michael Cohen? No, none that
7: I would be aware of. The campaign expenditures that I knew about were for data and research, were for ads, um, 50 percent digital, 50 percent television ads were for travel. I will tell you that people at the highest levels of the Trump campaign were looking over the schedules of our two greatest assets, Donald J. Trump and Michael R. Pence, and we were very involved in where can we deploy them next because we had a fraction of the personnel and a fraction of the budget. Of um, Secretary Clinton's campaign, for example. So we were very creative mm-hmm. putting them out there and messaging. So the answer to that is no.
3: You said that you did not learn about the payment to Stormy Daniels until you were long after the White House. I want to play that full exchange on Air Force One so our viewers can understand what the president was responding to there when he was asked about that $130,000 payment to Stormy Daniels. <laughs> The president said there he also didn't know where the money came from, but now his attorney says it came from President Trump.
7: Well, I'll go by the president's tweets here because I'm his counselor, not his counsel, so I'm not part of his legal team. Happily haven't practiced law in many decades, Margaret. But I'll go by the president's tweet where he says that this this money was through reimbursement through monthly retainers. Uh, That's what he was explaining through his tweet. And I think that those tweets are very important because there were three in a row Mm -hmm. that really covered the waterfront of this particular incident, this particular matter. Um, The way the president feels about the allegations, the way he feels about the NDA being in in full force and effect. And really the the motivation, uh, which is to that people of wealth. I mean, we know people on other networks. Uh, have paid a lot of money, millions of dollars for different matters. This was $130,000. He's saying that it's a personal matter. But again, I have some visibility into this, Mm -hmm. having been in the campaign and and being in the White House and watching the news like everybody else is. But I don't deal with this every day when I walk into the White House. I'm charged with looking over things like a, a trade and infrastructure,
3: obviously opioids, the economy. We're very happy with a 3.9% I want to ask you rate. about some of those policy issues. But just to close this, when did Michael Cohen stop representing the president? I don't know that. And in the White House... Because he said on April 5th he was
7: still his attorney. He's saying you have to ask Michael Cohen, his attorney. I did see in a different interview today that Mayor Giuliani said Michael Cohen is no longer the president's attorney. I don't know the answer to that, um, and I'd be happy to ask and, and have someone get back to you on that. But, again, when I get in there every day as his counselor, not as counsel, mm-hmm. we're not talking about personal
3: matters, personal attorney. I know he represented him for a long time, but
7: the president himself has Why has, is Why in. is
3: uh, Rudy Giuliani talking about issues of national security? I mean, he is speaking about the release of three American prisoners from North Korea whose lives are literally on the line. They are.
7: And we are um, hopeful, but uh, obviously very anxious about the hostages abroad.
3: And But it, did the, the, the White president House alone, authorize him to speak on such a sensitive matter? He doesn't have a security clearance, and he doesn't work where you do at not the Not that House. I'm aware
7: of. I have a security clearance, and I, I'm not going to divulge anything like that. I'll leave that to the president and his security team, obviously his chief diplomat, to make any announcements. We know it would be a gesture of goodwill on the part of North Korea, Margaret, if, in fact, they released the three American hostages, and we're very pleased with everything that we see coming out of the North Korea, South Korea meetings and this president's leadership literally helping to bring them to the table to end decades of war in Korea and also to denuclearize the Korean Peninsula. We want complete, verifiable, and irreversible denuclearization. And so far, so good. The president will make these announcements. He will announce... The date and the place for such a such a summit, and he and his and the people in charge mm-hmm. uh, will will announce um, any good news with respect to
3: is the Steve Bannon still uh, counseling the president as has been reported by the Wall Street Journal? So I asked the president about this squarely yesterday. We had a long ranging
7: conversation when he called me yesterday. He said that report is not true. And he said he has not talked to um, Mr. Bannon in, in many months. Uh, he had seen the headline, was made aware of it, and just happened to mention that to me.
3: The president said he would very much like to speak to Robert Mueller. Uh, Giuliani said today he would be a fool to do so. Will he speak with him? Many,
7: many people say that uh, it wouldn't be necessary for the president to do so based on what they see and what they know. I I would note for you that a a really fascinating, curious development that happened on Friday came from the federal district judge in the Eastern District of Virginia, who's presiding over the Paul Manafort case. Mm -hmm. If you read the full exchange, it's pretty remarkable, Margaret, where you have not somebody from the White House, not a politician, no, no one... Who's, quote, Team Trump somewhere talking about talking down the Mueller investigation? You had this federal district judge basically saying to Mueller's team, have you burned through your $10 million yet? Why did you let go of the Cohen case and put it up in New York? And why are you hanging on to the Manafort case? Where in the Manafort indictment is there anything to do with the president? These are charges from 2005 and 2007, Would active an interview investigation. Can bring that to a faster close? Well, I think what the judge is pointing out is that he's he's raising many of the questions Americans have raised, which is, where is this going? What is this about? Are you way way outside of the scope and the original mandate? We were promised by many people on TV collusion that interfered and affected the election result. We don't haven't seen any of that. We're talking about other things now. So the president has been very cooperative, but you mm-hmm. heard him himself addressing reporters, Margaret. The president has said he would be happy to answer questions and continue to be cooperative, but he wants to make sure that the process is fair. And, and to hear him say it, often the process has not been fair.
3: We'll talk about more of that ahead. Kelly and Conway, thank you for coming thank you in very much. and joining us. We turn now to Michael Avenatti. He is the attorney representing Stormy Daniels, and he joins us live from Los Angeles. Uh, Michael, your client appeared last night on Saturday Night Live. Rudy Giuliani said it's another sign that it's just hard to take this case seriously. How would you respond to him?
8: Well, I don't think her appearance on Saturday Night Live has anything to do with whether it's a serious case bargain or not. I think that over the last few months, we've proven um, to be very serious about this case. In fact, far more serious than uh, Michael Cohen, uh, Mr. Trump, mm-hmm. or now Mr. Giuliani. I mean, this is the rope-a-dope defense that we're seeing play out over the last week or so.
3: You believe that, um, in many ways, your client's case against the president, I've heard you say, has gotten stronger over the past few days. What specifically did Rudy Giuliani give you in terms of ammunition?
8: Well, there's no question it's gotten considerably stronger, and it's even gotten stronger this morning. Uh, You know, the more they talk, the better our case gets. And here's why. Because they can't keep their stories straight. They can't keep their lies straight. They keep providing further explanations upon explanations because they don't want to tell the American people the truth about what happened here. I mean, you just heard Kellyanne Conway state that Basically, no doesn't mean no. I mean, they're now redefining what the word no means on Air Force One, trying to reshape the answer to that question. And, Margaret, I have to tell you, I would urge people to go back and take a look at the statement that Michael Cohen issued back in late February or early March, where he denied, basically, that that Mr. Trump had reimbursed the payment, um, and he claimed he had done it all on his own. I mean, we now know that that was an absolute lie, and at the time, he was representing the president. It's pretty clear to people what is going on here, and it's a cover-up.
3: You have called to depose the president. Last time you filed to do this, a federal judge says, no, you're moving too quickly. That was back in March. Do you have any new update on that?
8: Well, that's actually correct that the judge initially said that on a procedural matter because it was premature, and we then refiled the motion, um, and that motion is pending, and we're hopeful that the court is going to rule on it. But I have to tell you, with each passing day, with more and more statements made by Mr. Giuliani, Ms. Conway now, Michael Cohen's attorneys and others, the likelihood of us being able to place this president under oath, I think, has gone up exponentially, and I'm looking forward to that Um, time. I mean, maybe we can ask him what he meant by the word no during that deposition, although I think people know. What
3: what would your first question be?
8: Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to disclose my first question, but we've got a whole host of questions. But let me say this, the idea that Mr. Giuliani, um, that he still doesn't know what the facts are. I mean, this is not a complicated situation, Margaret. You could have a 30 minute meeting with a client uh... which takes place with attorneys and clients all the time and get to the bottom of many many of these issues the reason why he claims to not know the facts now is because they don't know what to say because they have told so many lies
3: the Trump campaign faced accusations around the time that this payment was made to your client, Stormy Daniels. There were at least 19 women who accused the president of uh, assault, harassment, other kinds of, of unwanted sexual advances. Your client claims a consensual relationship with the president. Why do you think that this kind of uh, non-disclosure agreement, this kind of very different approach your client was adopted, instead of simply denying it, as they did around 20 other women?
8: You know, I can't answer that except to say that I I think that Mr. Trump knows that this is true, Um, that there's no question that this relationship occurred. There's no question that the intimacy occurred. Um, And yet, you know, he's tried to cover it up. Um, They've tried to distance themselves from the agreement, distance themselves from the payment, distance themselves from the reimbursement. I mean, Margaret, all you have to do is look at how they now claim the reimbursement occurred to know that something doesn't smell right. If it was all above board, why wouldn't he have just written a check or sent a wire transfer to Michael Cohen of Mm $130,000? Why this whole scheme? I don't get it.
3: Michael Avenatti, thank you very much for joining us. and we are. We're joined on set by Jonathan Turley. He is a constitutional law professor at George Washington University. We want to wish you a happy birthday. Thank you, Thank Margaret. you for spending it. I understand that two of our last guests were also students of yours at some point? That's,
9: that's right, uh, both Kellyanne and Michael. I've always said you don't have to go outside GW for national news, and this <laughs> just proves it. A-
3: well, uh, let, let's look at some of the work they, they've All done right. here. Um, you have said that in many ways the president's Uh, that these questions about Stormy Daniels could, in fact, lay out the case for Robert Mueller on obstruction of justice that we have yet to see when it comes to the main uh, legal case he's chasing, which is regarding Russian election meddling. Explain that. Well,
9: the danger here is that the Stormy Daniels matter could supply the obstruction case that has so far evaded uh, Robert Mueller. I don't think the obstruction case or collusion case uh, that Mueller's been pursuing, has really materialized, as far as we can see, into a serious threat against the president. But an obstruction case would be easier with Stormy Daniels. Even though Giuliani says that this is a weak case under yes. federal election laws, Cohen, the fact that is the that it is, um, it is possible to violate the, the federal president election president. laws, um, whether it's a loan or a gift. And that's, the threat is not the actual crime, because this is something that's not normally... Uh, charged criminally what Giuliani is referring to is the irrespective test under the FEC that if there was another reason for uh, the payment it's not a violation of the FEC Mm -hmm. people like White House counsel Don McGahn understand that because he was on the FEC and actually worked to lower the standards uh, for the election uh, material the danger is there's an investigation in the field out of New York so if the president is accused that's
3: the case involving Michael Cohen
9: that's right And that search warrant specifically referred to this matter. So if the president's accused of influencing witnesses, Mm -hmm. uh, withholding documents, encouraging people to give false information, all of that would be an easier obstruction case because you don't have all of the use of presidential authority that you have, for example, with firing James Comey. That's tough because he's using an inherent power. That falls away with Stormy Daniels. It is possible that a porn star could take down a president if the president's not cautious.
3: Uh, That's quite something for, I think, many viewers to get their head around here. But uh, Rudy Giuliani said this morning that the president's legal team would not have to comply with a subpoena, and they continue to argue that a sitting president cannot be indicted. Is that accurate legal analysis?
9: Well, he doesn't have to comply with the subpoena any more than anyone else does. He just has to be willing to pay the consequences. The fact is, the law in this area generally favors Mueller. If he wants to fight the subpoena, he'll be using the same arguments used by Richard Nixon and Bill Clinton. Those did not turn out well. Mm -hmm. So Mueller likely would prevail on the issue of forcing him into a subpoena. I happen to believe that the president can be indicted while in office. I don't believe there's a strong constitutional argument uh, that people have put forward, that the president's somehow immune. What bothers me is that the framers talked about a great deal of their concern of giving too much power to the president. There's nary a mention in the convention as to this sweeping immunity that people are talking about. These are not the people to just have an implied sweeping immunity.
3: Uh, Would you just button up for our viewers? Kellyanne Conway mentioned this uh, judge in the Eastern District of Virginia who has accused Robert Mueller of overreach. How did you understand these comments in the past few days? Because the White House thinks it strengthens their argument that all of this is a witch hunt.
9: Well, I think that the White House has a good point and a not-so-good point on this. First of all, Judge Alice's comments really surprised many people in the bar. He was really talking about motivation instead Mm -hmm. of... Uh, the issue of the mandate, and usually judges don't get into that. The fact is this mandate is largely defined by Rosenstein, and Rosenstein approved these, uh, these, these counts. The, where they have a good argument is I see no principled reason why uh, Rosenstein gave the Cohen case to New York yeah. but approved the Manafort case, except that it made political sense. I think it was strategic. There's no reason legally why those two cases were treated so differently.
3: Professor, thank you for joining us thank here you, today. And happy birthday. Thank
0: you. Don't have time to keep up with the news? Try the CBS News Radio app on your iOS or Android device. You'll get the latest news as soon as you start it up. It's that easy. You can also listen to great programming like Face the Nation, Weekend Roundup, or the CBS Evening News. And good evening. Wall Street today signaled its approval of the tax cuts passed by the Republican-controlled Congress. You can even download them straight to your phone and listen later. It's all on the CBS news radio app for ios or android download it today
3: we turn now to our political panel to talk through this week's developments ben dominich is the founder and publisher of the federalist shauna thomas is the washington bureau chief for vice news ed o'keefe is a political correspondent right here at cbs news and nancy youssef is a national security correspondent for the wall street journal ben start us off here Uh, we've talked about the legal ramifications is this just from a pr and political perspective Uh, a bad week for the president?
10: You know, I think that we have to put in perspective a couple of things here. Michael Avenatti has uh, made his rounds over and over again on all the cable news channels. And
3: now Rudy Giuliani. And
10: and he's made a number of different claims about what the ultimate result of his uh, legal processes will be, including that the president will be forced to resign over them. That is ludicrous, and frankly, I want to continue my run of good luck after the Kentucky Derby and say that I'm happy to wager with Michael Avenatti uh, a dinner at the Palm with Stormy Daniels and my wife that he will not be forced to resign over anything related to this. I think what we're seeing well, is... Well,
3: you heard from Professor Turley, though, where this could intersect with the Mueller case and be a serious of legal course. challenge.
10: But I think we have to keep in mind the political ramifications of this, which is that we're seeing a yeah. slow-motion repeat of what happened with the Clinton presidency, mm-hmm. and frankly, after the midterms, we're going to see a push for impeachment that could very well be based on these type of...
3: Shauna, uh, we heard from Professor Turley of George Washington University, constitutional law professor, say a porn star may actually take down the presidency. That's an incredible
11: Yes, it is an incredible statement. I think it's also some of it. We hear that statement. You had Jonathan Turley on. You had Kellyanne Conway on in some ways because Rudy Giuliani went on Fox News this week from a PR perspective. I mean, he gave more attention. He gave more sort of fire to or put, you know, more wood on the fire of the Stormy Daniels thing, which is something that the White House clearly doesn't want to talk about but he made it impossible not to talk about it. Or the president
3: authorized him to talk about it.
11: The president authorized him to talk about it, that's true, but Rudy Giuliani is supposed to be his lawyer, is supposed to protect him, Um, and it doesn't seem like that is what he was doing. And whether the president authorizes you or not, his legal duty is sort of to be like, hey, this is what's best for you, this is not what's best for you. And that's not really what happened. So We're not talking unemployment numbers. We're not talking other things that President Trump may actually want to tout this week. Because Giuliani re-legitimized this conversation this week.
3: Mm -hmm. Nancy, one of the things that it was clear from speaking to Kellyanne Conway, she was not comfortable as someone who works at the White House, talking about the fate of these three Americans being held in North Korea. Rudy Giuliani, however, has said that's imminent. There are literally lives on the line here. Uh, He's
5: talking about that. And it actually created a a bit of confusion. I was talking to a U.S. official today to try to confirm it, and they said you have to call Rudy Giuliani, who's not part of the national security team, or doesn't have the clearance to sort of give any insights on this. And so we know that those three Americans have been moved um, to the Capitol, which suggests that it's imminent. But in terms of how these announcements happen, it's usually um, a little bit more formal that because when you hear that, if you're a family member, that that sets all sorts of emotions and and, and feelings um, into action. And from the military perspective, it was hard to understand whether the military was prepared potentially to fly them out, what the intelligence community was doing about it. So it created a, an air of confusion. And, and at a time when we're potentially talking about some very serious talks with North Korea, if it happens, um, it appears to be an intent of goodwill by the North Koreans ahead of, of these key talks.
3: You also had Rudy Giuliani tear up yesterday piece of paper claiming this is what the president was going to do with the Iran deal. That decision's coming this week. Was he
5: freelancing on that? Not as much from we can tell given the statements by Secretary of State Pompeo, um, by some of the more recent statements by Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis. We, we've heard from them repeatedly that if the president doesn't see the terms as he'd like to see them, then the deal is over. Essentially, the message is that the president feels that the Iranians have gotten too much relief of sanctions for too little um, insights and uh, drawdown of their nuclear weapons program. They basically – and so there's, there's – they're – That's sort of the tension that's Mm -hmm. there. And they're saying that they want to see a more permanent agreement, one that deals with the ballistic missile program, and one that deals with Iran's nefarious activities in countries like Syria and Yemen and Iraq. The problem is it's not clear that the Iranians are interested in having any sort of side agreements to the one that was reached in 2015. And so um, the challenge becomes if this is torn up, or, as, as Giuliani suggested, or there are some efforts to play with it, for example, to bring back some of the sanctions, it, that essentially would end the deal anyway. And so it, it's created a lot of ambiguity, and I think it's one of the reasons we saw the call between Trump and um, Theresa May of the U.K. Mm-hmm. We've seen the vid- visit from Macron of France and, um, and Chancellor Merkel before, because this is not just a, bi- a bilateral right. agreement between Iran and the United States. This is one that potentially affects um, Um, all the signatories. And we'll be
3: talking about that ahead with the U.K. ambassador. Ed, uh, you are headed to West Virginia shortly. Tell me about the kind of primaries we should be expecting. Well,
12: this week we really start to see points get put up on the board across the country because there are primaries ahead of the midterm elections, Uh, most notably this week West Virginia, North Carolina, Indiana. We're focused on the West Virginia race because you have a five-way Republican primary to take on Joe Manchin, who many would argue is the most vulnerable Democrat this year, just given how popular the president is in West Virginia. And it is, there is reason to believe that the leading candidate is a former coal mining executive who served time in a federal prison on a misdemeanor charge related to the deadly Upper Big, brain, upper big Branch mine disaster in 2010. He's running away with it, some suggest, because he has this sort of anti-Washington, pro-Trump, businessman, not politician message.
3: Very sharply anti-Mitch McConnell, Republican leadership. He
12: has has floated some inaccurate statements about the Senate leader, all of it designed to sort of stir up the same kind of anti-Washington, anti-Republican establishment uh, sentiment that exists across the country. Given that it's a crowded primary, there's a good chance he wins this, and various Republican groups uh, have said if he is the nominee... Uh, they're not really going to worry about the West Virginia race.
3: But Ben, one of the questions is not just the message being anti-Washington, but that it's flat-out racist. Some of the ads that Don Blankenship has run uh, are referencing Secretary Chow and her family and their uh, ethnicity. And this has been matched in articles by Breitbart suggesting certain things having to do with their ties to China as well. What is this reflecting within uh, conservative politics? I
10: think it reflects the dissatisfaction among a lot of different cohorts for the job that uh, the Republican Congress has done. There's a, reason that Secre- uh, that there's a reason that Speaker Ryan is stepping down. But that's not there's policy, a- it's personal. Uh, I, no, I think it's, I think it's personal, it's policy, it's everything. I think that they believe that the Republican Congress has failed to live up to its obligation to deliver policy for President Trump. I think that they are, uh, they are highlighting those criticisms in all sorts of different primaries. And I think this is just, frankly, the beginning of this. We're, we're going to see a number of races play out this way uh, in a way where uh, there are candidates who boost their own... Uh, approval ratings, not because they are actually good candidates, but because they have a very pointed and direct criticism of people like Mitch McConnell, who, frankly, uh, Republicans in a lot of different states do not like and do not believe has lived up to his obligation to deliver for the president.
11: I mean, it is it is in some ways run against the swamp playbook. You know, you have liberals who run against Nancy Pelosi, like like progressives. So there's a similarity there. But the dog-whistling in these ads is not something that can be ignored. I'm and not that-
10: sure it's a dog whistle. Well, OK, so <laughs> fine. It. So, <laughs> so it's a full-out whistle. Yes. And
11: I think there is something to be said for if our politics is moving in that direction and the Republican Party puts up a nominee against Joe Manchin— who is using that kind of language, who is trying to incite that kind of feeling within people, what does that mean for the Republican Party going forward? And in some ways, Don Blankenship winning this race is probably Joe Manchin's dream in terms of him being, as you said, one of the most vulnerable senators in the Senate.
10: Ted Cruz thought he was going to run a campaign based on the Constitution. Instead, he had to fight off attacks that his wife was ugly and that his dad killed JFK. We're in sort of uh, through the looking glass on this sort of thing. Yeah.
3: It was pretty staggering. Uh, Another development uh, in the state of Iowa, Ed, this week, uh, the governor there imposed a six-week abortion ban.
12: Strictest in the country. Uh, Again, another example of... uh, And and she's somebody who who faces potentially a difficult re-election this year. Actually, election, because she's Mm -hmm. filling out a term from the former governor who is now the U.S. ambassador to China. Um, This is something that, you know, we're going to see through the summer. Different kinds of policy arguments made in different states on issues like this in, in a bid to build up the base of support. Uh, but on the flip side, this, this very well could infuriate voters in Iowa uh, and drive out Democrats or independents who are concerned about this. That, that's a state, uh, along with several others in the Midwest, where I think you're going to see uh, state houses, governorships potentially flip or be far more competitive than Republicans might have thought. It's partly anti-Trump. It's partly also just a belief that there's got to be some divided government.
3: Nancy, one of the things that the president would like to put on the board as a win before November, or just for his presidency, is this agreement with North Korea. Uh, he says date and time have been
5: set. What are you hearing? So Yonhap Agency is reporting that the, the location will be in Singapore just before the G7 summit in Quebec. That hasn't been confirmed by U.S. officials yet, but um, it was one place that we had heard in addition to the DMZ, the 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 disadvantage of the DMZ from some people's perspective was that it was going to Kim Jong-un's turf rather than a sort of more neutral territory. So we're starting to hear leaks of these kinds of things. And I think that's how it's going to be up until the talks themselves, because this isn't the kind of talk that we saw with the Iran deal where people at lower levels working at every little detail such that at the end, the big players that came in and signed it. This is the exact opposite, that things are going to come from the from the, from Kim Jong-un or Trump, and it'll be for people afterwards to sort out. And can you clarify, because there were some conflicting statements from the defense
3: secretary versus the president on whether troops are on the table.
5: So I think the, the question is, what does the word order mean when we say President Trump ordered? He said many times that he doesn't understand why 28,500 U.S. troops are in South Korea, and maybe it should be lower. We've, we've heard this from defense officials before. And the presumption is that at some point when he has said this, the U.S. military thought, all right, we should have options ready should he want to do a drawdown. And so I think the confusion came about is can you call that an order? Because it's Mm -hmm. not in the sort of traditional military terms, but when the commander-in-chief says it, it has to be acted upon. And so if if it's on the table, I think realistically what we would see, depending how this goes, presumably it's the best-case scenario for all involved, Mm -hmm. is some kind of drawdown as as a signal that it is no longer still a wartime uh, front line, as as it still is, technically speaking.
3: Ben, before we let you go, I want to ask you about the health of your father-in-law, Senator John McCain. How is he doing? Uh,
10: he's doing well. It's always a pleasure to talk about your in-laws on national television. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I actually, uh, my wife, uh, Megan, is out there uh, with him this weekend. Uh, this is the first weekend, and I think uh, five in a row that we haven't been out there with him. He's doing well. He's He's talking, he's uh, chatty, and he's uh, walking around. It's Look, uh, this is a terrible disease, and we appreciate all of the support that we've been given by a lot of different folks who have come out and and met with him over the past uh, couple of weeks. Uh, The family is very thankful for that and thankful for all the prayers and and good wishes that we've heard from so many different Americans.
3: We also heard from him in this recorded message regarding his book. Mm -hmm. Uh, He seems to be very reflective right now.
10: He is. I mean, you come to the end of your life, and in his case, he's lived the life over and over again of, I think, enough for five or ten different people. He's had a a pretty amazing run. Uh, The fact is, he's very grateful for the chances and the fortune that he's experienced in life. He's reflecting at the end on a lot of different things, and we just appreciate the fact that we've had such a good time to be able to spend with him in this moment. Uh, And we appreciate, again, all of the support that we've had, not just from doctors and nurses, but also from just well-wishers from across the country.
3: And I know so many send their thoughts and prayers, Ben. Thank you for sharing that. We will be right back in a moment.
10: If you like this podcast, check out what
0: other podcasts are available from CBS News Radio.
3: This is The Takeout
0: with Major Garrett. Every week, an extended conversation at a restaurant in our nation's capital with newsmakers like the administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, Scott Pruitt. Climate's changing. We contribute to it. I've said
6: that a thousand times,
0: okay? Chairman of the Democratic National Committee, Tom Perez. That's what this president has always been about. He divides people. Samantha B, our very special guest. I think
3: I just realized my voice is really boring on podcasts. I'm sorry,
5: everyone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe now for a new podcast
1: every Friday morning. The Takeout with me, Major Garrett.
3: We're joined now by the British ambassador to the U.S., Kim Derrick. Welcome to Face the Nation.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me.
3: Uh, Mr. Ambassador, uh, your prime minister spoke with President Trump Mm. yesterday. Uh, Can you tell us if there was a decision made on the nuclear deal with Iran?
1: Well, I don't have a full account of the discussion. They talked mostly about North Korea. The prime minister congratulating the president on the progress that has been made and asking him about this forthcoming summit. They touched on the Iran deal, but the message we are hearing from uh, all contacts in this administration is that although the president's views on the deal are very clear and have been out there for months and months, actually for years, that a final decision hasn't yet been taken.
3: And your uh, Foreign Secretary, Boris Johnson, Mm. will be here to lobby, as many of the European Mm. allies of the United States have done over the past week. Uh, what do you think is the compelling argument at this this point? Because, as you said, the president doesn't like the deal, but do you think that you can come up with a side agreement in time Mm. for him to avoid putting sanctions on Iran next Saturday?
1: Well, this is the area that we want to talk about. We think it's a good deal. It's not a perfect deal. No deal ever is perfect. And the president uh, is rightly concerned about Iran's regional activities, which are malign and damaging to security and stability, and he doesn't like the um, uh, the, list, the fact that ballistic missiles aren't covered. He's not happy about the sunset clauses. He thinks the inspections regime should be tougher. On those issues, we have ideas. We think that we can uh, we can find some language, uh, produce some action that meets the president's concerns. This week,
3: you're you're ready to close that side agreement this week?
1: We have been talking uh, at senior official level, the administration with our French and German colleagues for several weeks now. We think we're making progress. We haven't got there yet. Uh, we have a few days left to see if we can find a way through. Uh,
3: the president's national security advisor, John Bolton, was on this program last week, and he said, despite all these public statements about his own personal misgivings mm. about the deal, he will still present the president with the option you're working on here. Mm. Do you take him at his word?
1: Absolutely. I know John well. Uh, I've talked to him about this. Our own national security advisor was over a week ago talking to him uh, Absolutely. Uh, I mean, as he's told we'll give it a shot. He'll give it a shot.
3: Uh, President uh, Macron of France said, "If mm. this deal is blown up, that it opens a Pandora bo- Pandora's box and will spike tensions in the region." Uh, are you prepared for that?
1: Plan A is that the U.S. stays in the deal, and that's what we're but working. But you're a diplomat. You're
3: working on Plan B.
1: But of course, we are looking at all the eventualities. Uh, my government has said that as long as Iran is in compliance with the deal. Uh, and wants to stick with it, Um, that will be our position as well. So we're looking at options for maintaining the deal um, uh, should, which we hope they won't, should the US administration uh, choose to withdraw.
3: I want to ask you, on Friday the President was speaking at the NRA and uh, he spoke about a spike in knifings and murders in London. I want to play that bite for you.
4: I recently read read a story that 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 in
0: London,
5: London, which
4: which
0: has has unbelievably unbelievably tough tough gun laws, A once once very very prestigious prestigious hospital, hospital, right in the middle, middle.
4: is like like a war zone zone for for horrible horrible stabbing wounds. wounds. Yes, Yes, that's that's right. right. They They don't don't have have guns. guns. They have have knives. And And instead, there's blood blood all over the floors of of this hospital. hospital. They They say say it's it's as as bad
6: as a military military war zone. zone Hospital. Hospital. Knives, knives, knives. knives. London London hasn't been been used used to that. They're
4: getting
3: getting used to it. It's pretty pretty tough. tough. That was very controversial back home for you. Mm. Does this complicate the president's visit?
1: I don't think it complicates the president's visit. Every uh, country has an issue with knife crime. And so, yes, um, uh, tackling it in the UK. Actually, we've just introduced about a year ago a new strategy on tackling this. And we are consulting at the moment as a government about new legislation to make it even harder for people to uh, acquire the kind of knives that, uh, that get involved in these in these crimes. Um, so action is in hand, uh, and the president's right. We do have extraordinarily strong gun laws in the UK, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we will keep them.
3: Later this month, what all Americans are watching for is this royal wedding. Mm. Uh, an American, Meghan Markle, will be marrying Prince Harry, what does this mean to the British people, to have an American in the family?
1: I think the British people are thrilled that an American is, uh, is marrying Prince Harry. I think Meghan Markle has done an extraordinary job since the announcement of the, of the forthcoming wedding um, uh, in terms of her public appearances. I think she's already uh, much loved amongst the British people, uh, and I think it's wonderful news, not just for the two of them and for the families, but also for the relationship between the UK and the US. So we're thrilled for it.
3: We'll be watching. Thank you very much. Thank
1: you. Sir Derek.
3: Our next guest, Michael Hayden, is a former director of both the CIA and the National Security Agency. He's also the author of a new book, The Assault on Intelligence, American National Security in an Age of Lies. He's also principal at the Chertoff Group here in Washington. What do you mean an age of lies?
6: We have moved into what the Oxford Dictionary describes as a post-truth world. And, and I, Margaret, to look at the problem in kind of three layers. And frankly, the first problem is us. It's the broader society. It's our social discourse or lack of social discourse. We're making decisions based not on facts and data, but on emotion, preference, grievance, loyalty, tribalism. We have a president who recognized that as a candidate, exploited it as a candidate, and frankly, I think, worsens it as a president by some of the things he says and does. And then finally, we've got a foreign power coming in recognizing and exploiting both one and two above and it's all based on our moving away from basing our lives our decisions our dialogue on a view of objective reality rather than preference
3: why do you think that this is now coming up i mean as an intelligence professional you've been analyzing uh, these kind of issues around the world in this book you talk about advice you've given to other professionals who are considering jo- joining the Trump right. administration, and you're telling them, don't do it. I, I don't, but I, don't you need more professionals at a time like You do, this?
6: And, and I reserve, I, 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 I kind of take that for only folks at the very highest level, because I don't, know that they're going to have much influence. I look at the experience of H.R. McMaster, for example, who who tried as hard as he could to connect decision-making to the normal processes of fact-based governance, and I think he left because he failed. Now, I want the other folks, you know, the ones I describe as below decked with an oar, and they should just be rowing. Be there. Do your duty. Make this president as successful as you can. But here's the punchline. You have got to preserve not just your integrity obviously, but you've got to preserve your institution in the face of the pressures that it's under at the present time.
3: Let me ask you about some of those comments the president has made about the institutions of intelligence. You've taken issue with his very public criticism of the intelligence community, including his repeated reference to the 9-11 attacks, missed signals there, faulty weapons of mass destruction intelligence in Iraq. You were in key intelligence roles at that time. Isn't some of his skepticism warranted?
6: Absolutely. And, and, and I would be the first to tell you, should have done better there. I was in the room when we voted on the weapons of mass destruction national intelligence estimate. But, but, Margaret, that's of a pattern with regard to the president when it comes to decision-making, explaining his policies, or defending his policies. He doesn't come at you with data. He doesn't come at you with evidence. He comes at you with attempting to delegitimize... Those who would agree with him. So it's the fake news, uh, the the lying media, uh, intelligence with quotes in it, political hacks in terms of John Brennan and, and Jim Clapper. That's the essence of post truthism. You don't take the matter on based upon an argument as to what reality is. In fact, reality doesn't matter very much. You just discredit those who disagree with you.
3: And yet he is trying to appoint a career intelligence official, Gina Haspel, to run the CIA. You've given her a full-throated... Absolutely endorsement there. But I want to ask you, uh, she was chief of base at a CIA black site in Thailand, where at least 12 tapes were made of some call it torture, enhanced <clears throat> interrogation techniques. Those were destroyed in 2005. I think you're at the DNI at that right. point in time. Do you think those tapes should have been destroyed? Because this is a huge issue that could hold up her confirmation.
6: Yeah. As a matter of policy, it was against guidance. Legally, uh, there, were, there were no legal prohibitions against it. But you bring up Gina, and that's, that's a, a great question. I mean, we can relitigate the past of CIA. We've done that before. But if you want to do that, then it should be directors and attorney generals and members of Congress and, president, and presidents. Why I want Gina in there now is based upon the conversation you and I just had, all right, with a president who does not always attach his decisions to the real world, to, to data— to evidence, Gina Haspel is the one woman I want in that room when everyone else will be going into North South Auto Bob and saying, You're right, boss. Gina Haspel won't. She's She'll be dedicated. Absolutely not. Her Look, her only existence as a professional has been within the agency. Her only goal is to live out the agency's mission, which frankly is to tell the truth to the president, even though most often, That makes the president's life less comfortable than it would otherwise be.
3: Very quickly, will that repair his relationship with the intelligence community? Her
6: choice, she is a wonderful choice. Now, the question becomes, can she succeed where perhaps HR did not, which was connecting that to the actual decision.
3: Okay. General Hayden, thank you for joining us. Thank you. That's it for us today. Thanks for watching Face the Nation. Next week, we'll be in a new location right next door in our brand new CBS News Washington Bureau. We'll have a different look, different feel, different sound, but our tradition won't change. Until then, for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were White House Counselor Kellyanne Conway, Attorney Michael Avenatti, George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley, former CIA and NSA director Michael Hayden, and British ambassador to the United States Sir Kim Derrick. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday.
0: If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.
13: means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS
7: News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you